Good evening and welcome everyone to our service here in Norwich Baptist Church this evening. It's a joy to welcome everybody. I'm just going to explain to you what's going to happen because some of you may not be overly familiar with services of this sort. So I thought if I just go through and explain that, then you'll uh, have no surprises. And uh, that's a good thing. So very simply, we are going to sing some songs uh, together. And then we're going to uh, give an explanation as to what's happening and what believers' baptism is all about. It's important that we know these things. Uh, And then we're going to invite uh, the two people who are being baptized, which is Rachel and Marcus. And they're going to come up, and I want you to be really, really supportive for them because it's not easy to stand in front of quite as many people and to give a testimony as to what the Lord has done in our lives. So please... Um, support them as much as you can do so. We're going to go in this order, which is um, Marcus felt he wanted to be polite, and he suggested it should be ladies first or, or, or girls first. So that meant that Rachel had no option, but uh, she's going to go first in everything. And, uh, and Marcus, I think, is grateful for that, but it's chivalry and all, well done. And then after uh, we have heard the testimonies, we're going to sing a hymn. Now, that hymn... Uh, will be in your books, in the hymn books, and they're either green or brown, and you should be able to find one, but you may have to share uh, one between two. So that will be in this one, and it's number 190, but we'll remind you nearer the time so that you have that. And then we will go into the baptistry, which is behind this screen here. So we will lift that up, and the baptistry is, uh, is contained behind that, and then we will Uh, go through the baptismal part of our service. And then um, Chris is here. Yes, I'm so glad Chris is here. Chris is going to carry on and help uh, while uh, I am getting changed and everybody else is getting changed. And then uh, Chris will come and lead us. Uh, Brian Hoyting is going to read the scriptures for us. So uh, he will be reading um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And then we have a message which uh, will be um, entitled, Get Out of the Graveyard. So we're looking forward to that and what the Lord has to say to us. And then we will finish our service this evening with the hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in the Savior's Blood? Uh, And then we have our benediction and uh, close. And then downstairs, uh, Baptists like food. So we have a large cake, and I believe there's at least a slice for everybody, and there's uh, refreshments being served downstairs, so please um, try and stay. It might be that you'll have to go in groups because the downstairs is not overly big, but don't go away without taking a slice of cake because uh, we want you to enjoy this evening as well in, uh, in that respect. Um, I hope that's clear for everybody, and... Uh, What we're going to do now is come to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to stand and sing the hymn, Behold Our God, and the words will appear on the screen here. Let's pray. And so our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come with hearts that are expectant. Uh, We've come this evening because there is something special that is taking place. And what it is that's taking place is a clear public testimony and witness to the greatest miracle that ever takes place in this world, and that is the transformation of a human heart into that place that belongs to you. And so we have that expectancy, and we want to say thank you to Rachel and thank you to Marcus for their willingness to come and share with us all that you have done in them, all that you mean to them, 
and the expectancy that they have of all that you will do through them in their lives to come. And so, gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be able to rejoice with them. We pray that our hearts would be opened. I pray that we would allow our hearts to be softened uh, so that we hear the gospel, so that we hear the words, uh, both the words that are spoken, the words that are sung, and that we would be able to go away this evening rejoicing. And Lord, we pray if there is anybody here this evening who for the first time ever recognizes their need of salvation, their need to come to call on the name of the Lord, because now's the time. Don't put off to tomorrow what we can do today. And so, Lord, we come now and ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So please stand and we'll sing this hymn together, Behold Our God.
And so we do indeed welcome everybody here. And uh, if uh, you would like to complete one of our um, welcome cards, you'll find them just tucked near the pews somewhere, or there's a pile at the back. And if you'd like to receive details of, of what goes on here at Norwich Baptist Church, we can add you to a circular if you just pop your email address there. And if anybody has a prayer request, um, please just jot a note on the card, and you can pop them in the offertory boxes, and they're handed directly to me, and I would be delighted to pray with you, to pray for you, and to encourage you as best I can. So please uh, complete one of those if you would like to do so. We also have our bulletin. I haven't got a copy here, but there's some at the back uh, which contain details as to what's happening here in this fellowship during the course of this week. And uh, everything should be as per the bulletin. So take away one of those and you can see what's happening. There is also tucked in the bulletin an instruction sheet, very, very brief, on how to download the church app from uh, Norwich Baptist Church. And then that means that you can see and be kept informed with what's happening here in our fellowship. Uh, No charge to do that. And we would be delighted to welcome you to our community in that way. Just to say that this evening uh, there is no chat for our young people because this service, I think, is going to go on a week bit longer than normal so uh, so we've decided to move that until next week and we'll let you have the details uh, this week we have our area group meetings for our bible study we're looking at daniel chapter 5 um, this month and so if you can try and read daniel chapter 5 before coming to your group then uh, then that would be a good move and if you aren't a member of a group and you'd like to then talk to us afterwards uh, or or just drop the details on one of those cards pop them in and we'll find you a group in your area because we split out right the way from the north of our township, right the way to Delhi and to the south and, uh, and so on. So that's on this Thursday. Uh, this evening is a service of Believer's Baptism, and we'll explain all about that in just a moment. But I want to say that we have another service of Believer's Baptism planned for the morning of the 15th of May. And that will be taking place in the barn that we uh, meet at, uh, which is south on the 59. And if anyone would like to come and join uh, with us for that service, you're very, very welcome to. If there's anybody here who would like to talk about uh, Believer's Baptism um, and perhaps even look at joining that, uh, that service, you're very, very welcome to talk to myself or one of the elders or my wife if you would like to uh, after or during the course of the, uh, the next few days. Let's give thanks for the gifts and offerings that have been brought into this fellowship during the course of this week. And so, our Lord, we simply want to come and say thank you yet again. Uh, we thank you for the gifts and for the offerings that have been brought into this fellowship, and we pray that they would be used carefully and wisely in all that takes place within uh, the community that we're a part of. Father, we pray that uh, you would lead us with our evangelism, with our outreach. Uh, We see a world that is in need, and we see a community that is in need. And so, gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that these gifts would be used wisely and carefully with full transparency. Bless us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're going to explain just a little bit about uh, what's going on in terms of the actual baptisms this evening. What is believer's baptism and why is it necessary to be baptized? What does it signify? These are good questions and questions that we would be delighted to uh, answer and to talk with you. Uh, The first thing that is uh, so interesting about uh, believer's baptism is that it is an act of obedience Our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is demonstrated very, very clearly in this. Baptism was part of the Great Commission uh, that our Lord Jesus gave in all of the Gospels, but particularly in Mark's Gospel and uh, also Matthew's Gospel. 
Uh, it signifies that the Lord Jesus Christ gave um, to his disciples to go into the world, uh, to baptize, uh, and to preach the gospel to all nations. Mark's gospel says every creature, which obviously includes all of us. The verse that we take from Matthew 28 is, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we see the importance of the commandment that is given. If it is the will of the Lord Jesus that every person who comes to faith in him, every person who becomes a Christian should be baptized, then we must bow in submission to his will. We must obey him, not grudgingly, but willingly. Before we become Christians, we thought of only pleasing ourselves or perhaps pleasing people around us. But now we must make it our goal to please him, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. Secondly, our confession of Jesus Christ's baptism has been described as an outward sign of an inward faith. This is a simple but helpful definition. Faith is invisible, intangible thing, and needs to be expressed in action. And we can show people what they cannot see. We can declare what they may not have already guessed, that our faith is now in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it's about our dedication to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. The oath sworn by a Roman soldier to the emperor when he declared his allegiance to him was called the sacramentum. And there are only two ordinances given in the New Testament by our Lord Jesus, baptism and Lord's Supper. It is through these two sacraments that we are able to show our allegiance to our Savior. A sacrament seals a promise that we have made. Baptism is one of the ordinances or sacraments in which we show our allegiance clearly to Jesus Christ. Our identification with Jesus Christ, this is the main and perhaps deeper meaning of baptism. In believers' baptism, by full immersion in water, we are identifying with three great acts that secure our salvation. What are they? The death of our Lord Jesus Christ, his burial, and his resurrection. Without the resurrection, we're speechless. We have nothing to say. And Paul sums up the Christian message by linking these together. He says, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Now, please listen. This is important. Our Lord Jesus came and identified himself with sinners before he called sinners to identify themselves with him. He did this in two ways. One, by his baptism in the Jordan. John baptized in the Jordan those who repented in response to his preaching. When Jesus Christ asked to be baptized, John at first refused. This was because John knew that Jesus had no need of repentance. But Jesus went down into the water in order to stand in the sinner's place. You see, friends, Jesus identified himself with us in our relationship to God as sinners. His baptism in the Jordan was also a picture of his death and his coming up out of the water a portrayal of his resurrection. Our identification with him, by his baptism on the cross, Jesus said in Luke 12 verse 50, I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Jesus was referring to the time 
when he would be overwhelmed by mental and physical agony on the cross. He was immersed in suffering as he bore God's judgment on man's sin. In his life and in his death, Jesus, who was sinless, took the place of those who were sinful. That's our identification with him. When we became Christians, when we put our trust and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, two things happened. Our old way of life finished. And a completely new way of life began. And this is summed up by two expressions. Count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Romans 6 verse 11. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. The moment our lives were linked with Christ, the two things that happened to him also happened to us. We died with him to sin and its power over us. And we rose with him to a new life. And these great truths are clearly demonstrated, clearly in baptism by immersion for believers. Into the water, death. As we go down into the water, we are saying in effect that just as Jesus Christ died for our sin on the cross, so we have died to the sin in our lives. There has to be a complete break with the past, a death. Romans 6 verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin under the water. Now, we don't leave them under the water for very long, so fear not. But this is about burial. A person who has passed away, someone who has died, must be buried. Just as Jesus was buried in a tomb. So when we are lowered beneath the water, as our lives as sinners are regarded as being put out of sight, the Bible teaches we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Romans 6 verse 4. Our baptism then becomes a kind of a funeral service. And the water, a grave by which a declaration is made to all that the sinner has been committed to death. Death followed by burial now prevents our returning to our former way of life. And this is why Paul asks the question, we died to, our, to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Romans 6 verse 2. And then we're raised up out of the water, resurrection. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Again, Romans 6, 4 and 5. And this is why our baptism is so important. And our Lord knew all of this, so he identified himself with us as sinners by standing in our place. What a wonderful thing our Lord did for us as he stood in the Jordan River. And what a wonderful thing it is as we stand in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I hope that's a brief explanation and we will be able to see this clearly as the service continues. Let's stand and sing our second uh, uh, hymn this evening, In Christ Alone. Mm -hmm.
to welcome Rachel and uh, Rachel's going to come now and share her testimony. I just want to say that uh, it's been a privilege for me and for my wife and others uh, to get to know Rachel. Uh, Rachel is um, one of God's warriors when it comes to sharing the gospel and wanting 
to tell others about her love for the Lord and all that he has done for her. And so she has been an inspiration to me, and I thank Rachel for doing that. And I'm going to ask Rachel now to come and share with us. And don't worry, they're quite friendly. (laughs) Come on. Okay. (laughs) So if any of you talked to me before the service, you'd notice that I'm very, very nervous. Um, I'm still shaking, but uh, the two songs that we just sang um, and the Holy Spirit have calmed my nerves a lot. (laughs) Okay. So hi, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Rachel Coppert. I'm 19 years old, and I live on a farm just outside of Burgessville. Uh, Before I begin, I just want to say that my story has trigger warnings of suicide and self-harm. So if you ever don't feel comfortable or if it hits too close to home, then feel free to leave and get some air. I was debating on whether or not to come up here and share my testimony because, well, I already said this, but um, I have a little bit of social anxiety and coming up here is nerve-wracking. However, I've decided to come up and share because I know that God is working in my life. And as long as he is working in my life, I'll be working on bringing people to his kingdom with my story. One more thing before I start. I'd like to apologize in advance because it's pretty long. (laughs) But I just want God to be glorified. Okay, here we go. So for the most part, I was a happy girl growing up. Friendly, kind, and respectful. Notice I said for the most part. My older brother wanted to sell me, so maybe it wasn't all that great. The thing is, though, it's easy to put on a happy face. In my young mind, I had some dark thoughts. Thoughts like, I wish I was never born. I wish my mom aborted me. And I wish I was a Christian, born in the 1800s, so I could be dead and in heaven. It's not like it wasn't happy in my mind. I still enjoyed life and played with friends and loved animals. I even wished I could be a Christian, but I just didn't know how. And I didn't know that God loved me and had a purpose for my life. When my guard was down, the devil snuck in, telling me that God was just outside my reach. And if only I was perfect, then I would be happy. This was a lie I believed until recently, and it slowly got more believable as time wore on. So I strove to be perfect and failed again and again, because it's impossible. Without Jesus covering my sins, I could never be perfect. When I was 10 or 11, I heard a song that glorified death. The song made death seem so peaceful and so reachable. I'm going to read part of the song to you, the part that stood out the most for me. If I die young, bury me in satin, lay me down in a bed of roses, sink me in the river at dawn, send me away with the words of a love song. That was the chorus. Here's one of the verses. A penny for my thoughts. Oh no, I'll sell them for a dollar. There were so much more after I'm a goner. And then maybe you'll hear the words I've been singing. It's funny when you're dead how people start listening. This song told me that the only way people would care about me was if I was dead. That's why I wished I was dead. That's why I thought I needed to die. That's what led me to pray that God would take my life away. Just because I wanted someone, anyone, to care. When I was 12, I heard of someone who killed himself. I hadn't even known that was an option. 
but when I heard about it, I knew that's what I had to do. Nothing was stopping me. Nothing except dragging myself off the couch and into the garage. But I couldn't get up. I was just so tired. Little did I know that God was stopping me. I didn't tell anyone that I wanted to kill myself. I didn't know I could. I believed everyone wanted me dead, and I thought I was a coward to still be alive. It only got worse as the years progressed. I tried to ignore the little voice in my head telling me I should be dead, but it kept getting louder and louder and growing more intense to the point where I had to hurt myself just to feel. Although I didn't only hurt myself, I also got involved in pornography. It started off as just a little bit here and there, you know, to make myself feel good. I was never really addicted to porn. I just used it as a distraction when other distractions didn't work. But it was still a sin, a sin that I regret. This sin, like most sins, led to another, which I've told maybe four or five people about. My preferred pornography to watch was lesbian porn, which led me to have an attraction to girls. I labeled myself as bisexual because I just wanted someone to love me for who I was and if that was a girl, I didn't care, even though I knew it was wrong. Thankfully, now I know that I'm loved by many people, and best of all, I'm loved by Jesus. I don't need a girlfriend to make me happy. I don't need a boyfriend to make me happy. Although, to be honest, Jamil, you make me really happy. <laughs> but something happened to me recently. I witnessed an animal die, and it just made me so disgusted with sin. Thankfully, because that happened, I was able to truly completely repent of the pornography and same-sex attraction because if I felt how I did over that small thing, then God definitely felt grieved over my sin. Now going back a year or two, when I was 16, I went to a youth camp and someone asked a question about suicide. I didn't know you could talk about it, but they said if there was anyone who wanted to talk, we could. So I talked to some of the leaders. They tried so hard to point me to Jesus I still remember what one of them said. He said, you know God loves you, right? I nodded and said, God loves everyone. But he responded with Malachi 1, verses 2 and 3, which says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau have I hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. The problem was that God did not hate Esau. God is love, so how can he hate? 1 John 4 verse 16 says, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. God is love, and he who abides in love abides <coughs> in God, and God in him. And 1 John 3 verse 15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I know this now, but in my own mind, although that person did not intend it like I interpreted it, God hated me. Weirdly enough, that actually made sense. Of course God hated me. I didn't want him to, but it felt good knowing that he thought I should be dead too. Also strangely, it made me want to pursue God because deep down inside, I didn't want anyone to hate me. I wanted love, like the love I'd heard about from believers in Christ. When I got home, I repented of my sins and asked Jesus into my heart. 
A few days later, I was frustrated. Why weren't the thoughts going away? Why didn't I feel loved? Why couldn't I be happy to be alive, happy to have the gift of life? I reached out to someone and they helped me immensely. But something still felt wrong. Why didn't I feel different? Why didn't I change? I started seeing a therapist when my parents found out what I was going through. At this point, the suicidal thoughts were worse, attacking me every day. The lies were so convincing that I started to believe them again. I made plans to end my life while telling everybody that I was doing fine. I was screaming on the inside, willing for somebody to notice that I wasn't fine. It got so bad that every time I drove, I wanted to run my car into a hydro pole, and the only thing that stopped me was fear of surviving and my insurance going up. On a particularly hard morning, I decided to reach out again. At this time, I had stopped seeing my therapist because of COVID and wasn't talking to anyone, only doing a lot of journaling, stuff like how to kill myself, feeling trapped in my own mind, and self-hatred for being that way. I reached out to the school guidance counselor and against my wishes, but for my safety, he informed my parents of what was going on. Notice, at this time, I was cutting and or burning myself daily. I struggled with intense anger, mostly at family members, and even had homicidal thoughts going through my mind. The counselor was great because he listened to me, wasn't afraid of telling me the truth, and showed me truths from God's word that challenged the lies I had been believing for so long. One of our conversations that stands out to me is the idea of Christians being in a battle and having not only Jesus, but a whole army of loved ones behind us ready to help fight the devil. Despite the efforts of everyone, I still believed the lies, and that's what led to my four hospitalizations last year. Three of them were for suicide attempts. Needless to say, I'm glad they did not work, because then I wouldn't be up here sharing my story with all of you. The hospital was helpful. My first two times were mostly a blur because my mind was a mess and I felt as though my head was going to explode. But I felt safe there, like I could open up about things. I told them about my childhood thoughts. I told them about my bisexual convictions, I guess you could call them. I told them about the anger and suicidal and the homicidal thoughts. Funny thing, actually. Somebody was talking to me a few months ago, and they said, it's not actually funny, but I just said that. Um, you know what, Rachel? I can't picture you being angry at or wanting to kill anybody. And inwardly, I laughed, because not only did I used to want to kill certain people, I also had detailed plans on how I would go through with it. Now, that is some pretty dark stuff, but I'm telling you, because if there's even one person here who has the same overwhelming, intrusive, and dark thoughts as me, I want to offer you hope. I can tell you this because I'm not ashamed of what I went through. Instead, I embrace it because it shows me what God has saved me from. It brings glory to him, and as his children, we are called to glorify him in everything. Now, back to the hospital. The staff and the other patients were nice. Some were Christian, and others were not and I'm still in contact with some of the patients today. My third and fourth hospitalizations led me closer to God because I realized I couldn't do this on my own anymore. I realized how much I needed him, how badly I wanted him. 
However, I still felt so far from him. Here's something that I wrote at the end of last year. So I was just reading my Bible because I want to, not because I have to, and I feel closer to God. Yet at the same time, it feels as though he is just outside of my reach. And it's so confusing because I want to believe what he says. I really, really do. And sometimes I think I might. But it's just hard to accept what he says is true, especially when you grow up believing the opposite. This led me to pray that I might be able to have Jesus and be truly joyful in him, in him and him alone. Thankfully, those prayers paid off, and I don't feel like that anymore. I know that Jesus is my Savior and always will be mine. <laughs> that wasn't completely true. I do still have hard days, days where it seems like I can't go on any longer, especially this past week because the devil does not want me to get baptized. But here's the difference with how I was before. I also have hope. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I am never alone and neither are you. I have some tough diagnoses, but I know that's not who I am. I am a daughter of the King of Kings and I'm going to hold tight to the truth from his word and use the truth to combat the lies. I'm also going to share my story with anyone who will listen. I'd like to thank every one of you for praying for me. And I'd like to thank my family and friends for never giving up on God's plan for me, no matter how despairing things seemed. Most of all, I'd like to thank Jesus for saving my soul and for giving me true life. I know there's still a bumpy road ahead of me, but I also know I have a whole army fighting alongside me. If you're feeling like I did or know somebody who is, please get some help. You can talk to me or Pastor Sim or a parent or a friend or a therapist because we love you and we want you to be happy. I also want you to know that you don't have to be too broken to come to Jesus. <coughs> Even if you think you are doing fine on your own, he wants you. On the other hand, you will never be too broken for Jesus. Psalm 34 verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I can say this with confidence because I'm proof that it's true. Jesus is enough to heal you. All you have to do is ask. Ask that he will forgive your sins. Ask him into your heart and life and ask him to give you true joy. I'd like to tell you that on March 10, 2022, I was able to say, I love you, God and really mean it. If you told me a year ago that I would be up here and sharing my story, I would have just laughed and told you there's no way that would happen because I would be dead. I really thought I wouldn't be able to make it through each hour, each day, each week, let alone a year. As I wrap up, there's one more thing I'd like to share. Levi Lesko is a pastor in the States. A few years ago, he had something tragic happen to his family. His little girl, who was five years old at the time, died because of a severe asthma attack. Someone was talking to him and they said, Levi, are you mad at God for what happened to your little girl? He said, no, I'm not mad at God. I'm mad with him. God hates sin. He hates it. That little girl died because of sin. 
What I went through is because of sin, and what you are going through is because of sin. We should be angry at sin and at the devil, not at God, but with God, alongside God. God didn't cause the sin and the pain and the brokenness of my life or your life. He didn't plan the state of the, that our world is in today. Man ruined it. We ruined it with our ugly, terrible, immoral acts of sin. God is the hero of my story because he gave me hope. He sent his only son on the cross to die on the cross for me, for me. And he can be the hero of your story too if you let him. Whatever you're going through right now in your life, whatever you're angry about, God is with you, angry with you, alongside you. He's angry that you are hurting and he has a solution for you. He wants to heal you. He wants to welcome you into his family. So open up your arms to him and let him enter your life. You'll never regret it. Today, I'm not getting baptized because I think it's cool. I'm not getting baptized to be a rebellious teenager. And I'm not getting baptized because it's expected of me. <clears throat> I'm getting baptized in obedience to Christ. I'm getting baptized to symbolize that I, like Jesus, have died to my sin and have been raised again into new life. Thanks for listening. God bless. Um, there's no one that God can't reach. No one. And that also works the other way. You might be like really perfect, okay, but you still need the Lord Jesus in your heart and life. I'm going to ask Marcus now to come. Marcus has got his uh, swimming attire on. I just want to say that we don't normally dress like this at Norwich Baptist Church, um, but we shall do better shortly, okay. Thank you. You're right. Okay, good man. Hello, everyone. Um, most of you already know me, but for those who don't, I'm Marcus, and today I'll be sharing my testimony with all of you. I've been going to church as long as I can remember. However, I never truly understood what it means to have a meaningful relationship with God. I just saw him as the ultimate figure of authority in my life, and nothing more. I obeyed my parents and followed the rules of the Bible simply because I felt obligated to. I never did it because I loved God or to please him. During my freshman year of high school, we started to attend Norwich Baptist Church. There I learned how Jesus came to earth, not to rule, but to voluntarily become a humble, pure sacrificial lamb who was killed to pay for sins, crimes, and great wickedness he did not commit. John 1 verse 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an incredibly humble and self-sacrificing thing he did for us. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. I tried my hardest for months to do good things to earn the right to know God. But I failed each time. I tried to sing a song of worship in church one day, but my voice sounded awful, and uh, I felt like I was failing. Then as if God reached down and touched me, I, I, had a, I realized he didn't care what I could do for him. He loved me regardless. That day I confessed to God, I am a sinner, incapable of saving myself. 
I asked Jesus to come into my life so I could start living for him. Ever since the Holy Spirit has helped me um, work on my relationship with God through fellowship, youth groups, and learning as much as I can about the, uh, God's wonderful love. I likely wouldn't have tried to do any of these things if I hadn't begun to see God as my father. Before, he was just a person who was always telling me what I can and cannot do. See, the Bible teaches us both divine sovereignty and human responsibilities, and there's no contradiction or conflict when both are accepted. No one is more free than a believer who surrenders to God's sovereign will. Ignoring God's sovereignty exalts human responsibilities and makes man his own savior. But denying responsibility makes a man a robot without accountability. The Bible maintains a lovely balance which enables God's people to live joyful and victoriously regardless of their circumstances. I realize God gives us rules to follow not because he wants to boss us around, but because he loves us. And he knows if we follow his word and are obedient to him that we will live the best life we possibly can. To hear and understand the word but not to obey is to deceive ourselves into thinking we've grown spiritually, when in reality, we've just moved backwards. Today I'm being baptized in obedience to God, as he's commanded in Romans 6 verse, uh, 6, verse 4, which says, Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. My prayer for each and every one here today is that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you'll turn to him and call out to him and make that relationship with him. And he will answer your call. tremendous now you two might like to go through those doors there and I'll follow you shortly just when the singing starts but I just want to say uh, that it's been a joy for me to and my family to have known Marcus and to see him growing up within our fellowship and to see the change that has taken place in his heart and life so it's uh, a joy to come to this day so what we're going to do now is to uh, stand and to sing uh, and we may need to turn to our hymn books, uh, or are the words going to be on the screen? Or Okay, the screen's going to go up. So if you'd like to find your hymn books, and we need uh, to look for number 190, Are You Washed in the Blood of Christ? So please stand, and we sing together. And uh, Chris, would you come and uh, look after things?
so um, if there are any uh, younger uh, people who'd like to come, uh, or anybody else for that matter, and stand up at the front here, they're very, very welcome to do that. Now, one of the customs in our fellowship, which is quite different to uh, most uh, Baptist churches, is that we do uh, invite somebody else who perhaps has been um, a help and a blessing in uh, the person coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to also be involved in the baptism. Now, we're also quite a, a smart church because we've got two baptistries and our other one is bigger and wider, but that's down at the barn. And then we're moving to our tent in a couple of weeks back here because our congregation has grown and we don't really fit into the church anymore. So this one's a bit on the tight side. So we're going to see how this works. But this is my wife, um, uh, Jo, and uh, she and I have uh, uh, been greatly blessed in meeting Rachel and talking to her. So what we're going to do is just um, uh, work that together and see how we work on the space-wise in here. But this is something that we, uh, we like to feel is part of this. So as I said, if anybody else wants to come to the front, they're very welcome to. I'm going to ask uh, Rachel a couple of questions and then we're going to make a statement. And uh, we just want uh, Rachel to answer truthfully to these statements, or questions rather, and then to accept or acknowledge the statement that is made. And, and then we will just uh, baptise her. She will go underneath the water very momentarily, and then we will lift her up. And as uh, Rachel comes up out of the water, John is going to strike up with the first note uh, of Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. So don't wait for the, the music to continue. He will strike the note, and then we go straight into... Uh, the hymn, and as Rachel comes up out of the water, she should hear us all singing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, what a foretaste of glory divine. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then we will ask Marcus to come in, and on the second time we will sing the whole hymn, and that is in your books, and you need the number. 345. 345, okay, so 345 in the green book. Right, Rachel, can I ask you these two questions? Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the power of this world, and repent of your sin? Yes. Rachel, do you now confess Jesus Christ as your saviour, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord and Master? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rachel, um, I'm going to make a statement now. It's on your own confession of faith. It's not on mine or your parents, or anybody else. This is your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord. We're going to baptise you. So I'm going to ask if you put your hands to there, come forward slightly. Okay, and Joe and I are going to grab you in the back here. All right. Um, Rachel Coppert, we baptise you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs>
make sure, Mark, you need to stand forward because you're quite tall. Okay, and we don't want to smack your head on the back. Right, over there. So again, uh, it's a joy to uh, be able to be involved in... Uh, I, I've been praying for this guy for a long time, and um, there was a while that I was worried, okay? Uh, but the Lord has uh, graciously intervened, and uh, we've seen the changes that we're looking for in this man's life. Uh, other people have noticed too, and they have come and they have said... Um, that lad Marcus, quite a decent chap after all. And it's a joy to be able to see the change that takes place when we come to know and to love the Lord Jesus. Uh, his dad's been a great blessing to us here in this church, and it's a joy to be able to come to this occasion. So, Marcus, so just as we did with, um, with Rachel, I'm going to ask you two questions, and then there's a statement that we will make. Um, Marcus, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the power of this world, and repent of your sin? I do. Marcus, do you now confess Jesus Christ as your saviour, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord and Master? I do. Okay. Now, I'm not sure how we're going to do this part, so I can stand here, uh, because... Uh, these guys are slightly, slightly bigger. Just watch his head at the back, okay? So come forward. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Marcus, I just want to stress this point because it's important, okay? Um, that's right. Put your hands together on somehow. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. So, Marcus, it's very important that you understand this, that this is about you. It's not about your dad or your mum or your grandparents or anybody else. It's not about me, it's not about anybody. Uh, Marcus, it's on your own confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour that we baptise you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
Baptism is an outward testimony of an in an inward transformation. It's the first step of obedience for a disciple of Christ. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing over Rachel and Marcus. We thank you for their testimony and witness to us. It is an outward sign of an inward truth. We thank you that they have chose to follow you, that they have died to sin and start fresh with you today. We ask your hand of protection over them, that you would bless them and keep them, that your face would shine upon them and be gracious unto them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The uh, reading is uh, taken from uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised up us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen.
So they're here. So uh, Rachel and Marcus, we just would like to ask you to come up to the stage uh, once more or come up to the front once more. And uh, we've just got a small presentation to make to you. Where's Marcus? Okay, he'll be here in a second. <laughs> okay. Right, there you go. Okay, no worries. So um, one of the things that uh, we always like to do uh, for those of... Uh, uh, who are baptized here in this fellowship, is uh, to give you a small gift. Now, we've always known that you've wanted a doorstop to keep that door from shutting. And so we like to, uh, to make sure you feel very valued with the size of the doorstop that we give. But um, we have, uh, uh, first of all, Joe's going to present to you your baptismal certificate. Okay. And this is a prayer that we would like to uh, just share with you and Marcus as well. Okay, and then uh, we have uh, one of the things that's important to, um, well, to get him into, okay, for both of you is, you know, what's it all about? And so we have uh, Wayne Gruden's um, Systematic Theology. Yep, okay. And uh, we also have this little book here, which is entitled The Saving Life of Christ. And uh, this book has, has changed my life. Okay, and we've got a few copies at the back, and if there is anybody who would like to take one away with them, you're very, very welcome to do so, and uh, they're free. Just take them. If anybody wants a Bible, if you haven't got one, just take the Bible in your pew. If you really want the hymn book, you can take that too. But um, <laughs> if, uh, So there we are. So this is what we would like to give to you as a gift from our fellowship, and uh, we ask and pray God's richest blessing upon you. May the Lord bless you both. Okay, take care. All right. Thank you. Take care, sweetheart. Okay, bye. Okay. <clears throat> and so this evening, uh, we have witnessed something very remarkable that has taken place. Uh, what we've actually been witnessing is something that has happened in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for the last 2,000 years. People all over the world have gone through the waters of baptism in exactly this way. They have been able to do and to stand in the place that our Lord Jesus stood. And it's been a great joy and a great privilege to be able to have seen and to witness this service that has taken place this evening. In some respects, uh, I don't really need to bring a message Time-wise, okay, we're going to be here till just a bit after eight, but I hope that's going to be okay for everybody. I perhaps don't really need to do this because uh, Rachel and Marcus in their testimonies have said all there is really to say. Uh, they have spoken from their hearts. They have spoken with truth and sincerity. They have spoken with a real sense of gratitude for all that the Lord has done for them. But this evening we have witnessed the public confession of faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been a privilege for us to be able to witness and to see this. It's been a privilege to be able to hear the testimonies of these two people who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And it's an exciting thing for us to have been able to have seen and to witness. And for us, uh, in, uh, in our fellowship here, it's been a joy. We have seen many people being baptized and coming to that point of recognizing their need to be obedient to the Lord Jesus during the course 
of the last couple of years. And so it's a joy for me uh, particularly to have been involved in the journeys of some of these people that we have met together in the uh, preparation uh, meetings that we have. I don't like calling them classes because it sounds like that's something that you come to, that you learn, uh, tick the form, and it's all over and done with. No, 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 that's not what this is about. This is about something very, very, very personal uh, between these individuals and their God, their God. So this evening, there is a sense in which we could say that we have found ourselves, as I mentioned earlier, in a funeral service, and that doesn't sound very joyful, does it? But this time, it has been very, very different. You see, there is no doubt that a death has occurred. We have witnessed a demonstration in the form of the baptisms that have taken place this evening that speak very, very clearly, very powerfully of the death that has taken place in Rachel and Marcus in their lives as they have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I really mean by this? I'd love it if you could listen very carefully. And as we just move through these scriptures together, I hope they've been read to you from um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. What does this mean? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly that before we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, before we come to faith in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, before the work of the Holy Spirit takes place within our hearts and within our lives, before all of these things have happened, we are dead. That's the description that the the Bible has for us. The Bible makes it very, very clear that the unbeliever is not sick. Okay? He's dead. She's dead. Now that's an incredibly important point for us to understand and to recognize. Not my words. These are God's words. The Bible makes this clear. The unbeliever is not sick. They are dead. The unbeliever needs resurrection, not resuscitation. You know, get the heart beating again. That's not what's needed. Absolutely. And the first verse of our text explains this to us without any uncertainty, without any ambiguity whatsoever. The unbeliever is dead. We read Ephesians 2 verse 1 again. And you he made alive. So if we're made alive, we had to be dead. You who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Now, if you've attended Norwich Baptist Church uh, for very long, uh, maybe you've just come on a one-off occasion and you've heard this, but I love to talk about the fact or to explain the situation, the position, if you like, that we find ourselves in in the world. And my explanation goes something like this. When you look outside the doors of this church, when you look around this church for that matter, but when you look in through our town and you go to Woodstock and you go to the top of the CN Tower in Toronto and you can see for miles and miles around and you get into an airplane and you travel and you look down over the sky and you see a world that is one vast graveyard. Because that's exactly what it is according to God's word. The world is one vast graveyard. As far as the eye can see, a graveyard. And in this vast graveyard, according to Ephesians 2 verse 1, are dead men and women, yes, walking. Yes, they're walking and yes, they're breathing. But according to God's word, they are dead spiritually. How did they die, you ask? Some of them have only just been born. We've got some babies here. There's a little tiny one in front of us. 
Beautiful. How did it happen? Take the story a bit further and begin to understand if you're buried in the cemetery, how are you going to get out? What's the only option that's open to you? Very simply, if you're in the cemetery, there is only one option. That's resurrection. Can't dig you up. Won't work. Resurrection. There is only one way, and that is to be raised from the dead. The unbeliever cannot be resuscitated. The unbeliever needs resurrection. There is no other option. And friends, this evening it's the same for us. The only way that we can be taken out of the graveyard of this world is to be raised to life. New life, the Bible calls it. New birth, the Bible calls it. Being born again, the Bible calls it. And then in these verses, Paul talks about our spiritual position in Christ. First he explained what God has done for all sinners in general, and then he explained what God did for us in particular. Now, before we go any further, there's just one point that we do have to clarify and recognize. I've mentioned it already, but for some of you, it's just gone woof. And it's this. We're all born sinners. All of us. Because this is what makes us dead. In other words, we're born dead. Now, some people say to me, but Pastor Sim, the word sinner is a bit on the strong side, don't you think? I'm actually quite a decent sort of person. I do all the right things. People love me. It's a strong word that you're using there. And I'm not sure it really applies to me, but it does. It applies to all of us. Because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. The word all is inclusive. You see, we just can't help it. Even the really lovely ones here just can't help it. But the sinner who trusts Christ, according to God's word, and what we have seen in this baptistry tank this evening, has been raised from the dead. They're made alive, the Bible tells us. And not only are they made alive, but they are also able, and this blows my mind, to be able to sit in the throne room of heaven and according to Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10 to share the throne of Christ. Verse 6 very very particularly. And what a miracle of God's grace that we are taken out of this great graveyard of sin and we're placed into the great throne room of glory. I come from England so I know a bit of a bit about throne rooms, okay? And uh, when you go to Windsor Castle and you go into the throne room where the queen will welcome people and entertain. She's never been there when I've been there. <laughs> but when you walk in the doors, it's incredible. The gold, the carpet, the thrones. And that's nothing compared to what one day we will see in glory. Now, briefly... 
After this wonderful service of believers' baptism this evening, let's look at two specific works that are spoken of here in these verses. One of them is somewhat depressing. The other one is tremendously exciting. So the first one that we consider is sins working against us. And then secondly, we're going to look at God's work for us. So we see that there is that contrast that takes place. So firstly, sins work against us, verses 1 to 3. And some of you will know that my wife is a photographer. And uh, you would think that taking a photograph is a pretty straightforward, simple procedure, wouldn't you? You know, you just find out who you've got to take the picture of, set the camera up, press the button, and that's it. But it's not that simple at all. Absolutely not true. To take a decent picture, you need to set everything just right. You need to know how the camera works. You need to talk to the subject. The person needs to know where to stand, the position that they stand in, what to do with their hands. And if you've got any hair, what to do with your hair. (laughs) The subject needs to know the details. And in these three verses, Paul gives us a full-length picture, if you like, of this And it's the terrible spiritual condition of the unsaved person. Note his characteristics. Note her characteristics. We've spoken about one already. They are dead, verse 1. The unsaved person is dead. And of course, this means spiritually dead. But they are dead. And this, of course, includes all people who have not come to faith and trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) This includes people who attend church regularly, but are not saved. Because just walking through the doors of a church two or three times a week won't save you. You're dead. These two are part of the great graveyard of the world. Walking through the doors of the church does not make the difference. It doesn't take you out of the graveyard. You're still dead. Going to a Christian school, for example, will not make you a Christian. It might be a blessing. It might be a help, but it won't make you a believer. It doesn't take you in and of itself out of the graveyard of the world that we have spoken about. You're still dead. Unless you've become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being the member of the church doesn't take you out of the graveyard. You're still dead. Unless you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Being the pastor of the church doesn't in itself save you. You're still in the graveyard. So the first characteristic that we see of the unsaved person is death. But then we discover there's something else. It's about obedience. This was the beginning of man's spiritual death. Disobedience. His disobedience to the will of God. God said, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Going back to Genesis. Notice that it's the word die, not fall, that we see here in the scriptures, Genesis 2.17. And of course, Satan in Genesis 3 verse 14 said, you'll not surely die. And because Adam and Eve believed the lie... The first man and the first woman sinned, and they experienced immediate spiritual death, and then ultimately physical death. 
And since that time, mankind has lived in disobedience to God. But why do we continue to live this, this way? Well, there are three forces, according to the section of Scripture that we have and we've read together. There are three forces that encourage men and women and boys and girls in their disobedience. What are they? The world, the devil, and the flesh. The world puts pressure on each person to try to get them to conform to the way that the world operates and works. Romans 12 verse 2. By the way, if you get our church app, you can get all the Bible references that we use very quickly uh, by, uh, by downloading that. So it's worth uh, thinking about that if you'd like to check some of the references and so on. Jesus Christ was not of this world. And neither are his people. John 8:23. John 17 verse 14. But the unsaved person, either consciously or unconsciously, is controlled by the values and the attitudes of this world. So that's the world, the devil. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Verse 2. This does not mean that Satan is personally at work in the lives of each unbeliever. Since Satan as a created being is limited in space. Unlike God who is omnipresent, Satan cannot be in all places at one time. But because of his demonic associates, Ephesians 6 verses 11 to 12 for example, and his power over the world system, John 12, 31, Satan influences the lives of all unbelievers. And he seeks to influence the lives of believers. Because he wants to make all people into children of disobedience. He himself was disobedient to God, so he wants others to be disobedient to God too. One of Satan's chief tools for getting people to disobey God is lies. He is a liar. He has always been a liar. John 8.44 tells us that his very language is deceit. And it was his lie at the beginning of human history, you shall not surely die, he said to Adam and Eve, that plunged the human race into sin. The unsaved multitudes in today's world system disobey God because they believe the lies of Satan. And when a person believes and practices a lie, they become a child of disobedience. And then we come on to the flesh. The flesh is the third force that encourages the unbeliever to be and to disobey, to disobey God. But the flesh, Paul does not mean the body, because of itself the body is not sinful. The flesh refers to that fallen nature that we were born with, that wants to control the body and the mind to disobey God. An evangelist once took as his topic the following statement. And it was printed on billboards put around the town. Not here in Norwich, not me. Just want to hasten to add. But this is what was written on the signs. It says, why your dog does what it does. And when the meeting came, the church was full of dog lovers. Well, I mean, I suppose that was quite a possibility to have happened in that sense. People came because they wanted to hear the answer. 
And what he had to say was very, very obvious. In fact, too obvious. Because the statement he made was that a dog behaves like a dog because it has a dog's nature. Simple. Not difficult to work out, is it? If somehow you could transplant into your dog the nature of a cat, its behavior would change radically. Don't think about it too hard for a moment. Just accept the point. Why does a sinner behave like a sinner? Because he or she has the nature of a sinner. Psalm 51, 5. Psalm 58, 3. This sinful nature, the Bible calls the flesh. Is it any wonder that the unsaved person is disobedient to God? They are controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The three great enemies of God. And on his or her own, you can't change. You can't change that nature. In and of yourself, you cannot overcome the world. You cannot overcome the flesh or the devil. Because you need help. And that help can only come from God. So firstly, the unbeliever is dead, disobedient, but he's also, and this is another one of those scary words, he's depraved. Now, that's not a word we want to talk about very often, is it? He's depraved. Again, it's a strong word. The lost sinner lives to please the desires of the flesh and the wishes of the mind. His actions are sinful because his appetites are sinful. When you apply the word depraved to the unsaved person, you're not saying that they only do evil or that they are incapable of doing good. You are simply saying that they are incapable of doing anything to merit salvation or to meet the standard that God sets, the holiness of God. I think both in Rachel and and Marcus, but Rachel particularly had made the point about just how much God hated your sin. You know? Do we ever think for a moment, you know, my sin? What must it be like for God to see it? Jesus said that lost sinners do good to each other, Luke 6, verse 33. And to their children, Luke 11, verse 13. But they cannot do anything spiritually good to please God. So the characteristics of the unsaved person is that they're dead, they're disobedient toward God, and they're depraved, they're unable to please God, and lastly, they're doomed. By nature, they are children of wrath. By deed, children of disobedience. The unsaved person is condemned already, the Bible tells us, John 3 and verse 18. The sentence has been passed But God, in his mercy, is staying the execution of the sentence. 2 Peter 3, 8-10. Man cannot save himself, but God, in his grace, steps in to make salvation possible. And there in the words that we have read together are some of the most lovely words in the Bible. Verse 4, first two words, and you think to yourself, are you sure? What does it say? But God. But God. 
Because we can't do it. Many of us try. Some of us try incredibly hard. Some of us think we've almost made it. But we just can't do it. But God. God works for us. By nature, God is love. And again, that's been referred to in the testimonies that we have spoken and heard this evening. 1 John 4 verse 8. I think it's almost the verse that Rachel quoted. But God would love even if there were no sinners. Because love is part of his very being. Theologians call love one of God's attributes. But God has two kinds of attributes. Those that he possesses of himself, intrinsic attributes, such as life and love and holiness. And those by which he relates to his creation, especially to man. We call those relative attributes. For example, by nature, God is truth. But when he relates to man, God's truth becomes faithfulness. God is by nature holy, and when he relates that holiness to man, it becomes justice. Love is one of God's intrinsic attributes. But when this love is related to sinners, it becomes grace and mercy. We see this here in verse 4. And in grace, verse 7. And these riches make it possible for sinners to be saved. You know, it comes as a bit of a shock to some people when they discover that they're not saved by God's love. They're saved by God's mercy and God's grace. In his mercy, he does not give us what we do deserve. And in his grace, he gives us what we do not deserve. And all of this is made possible because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was at Calvary that God displayed his hatred for sin and his love for sinners. Romans 5.8, John 3, and verse 16. So God loves us. But it is God who makes us alive. Verse 5. This means he has made us alive. Even when we were dead in sins, he accomplished that spiritual resurrection by the power of the Spirit using the word. In the four Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus raised three people from the dead. The widow's son, Luke 7, Jairus' daughter, Luke 8, and Lazarus, John 11. And in each case, all Jesus did was speak a word. That's it. And this word gave life. The word of God is quick, it's living, and it's powerful, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4.12. These three spirit, uh, physical resurrections are pictures of the spiritual resurrection that comes to the sinner when he or she hears the word and believes. John 5.24. And we have seen and we have heard the word being read and spoken of. This evening, both as I have spoken and as Rachel has spoken and as Marcus has spoken. So no one's without excuse. You've heard the word. You have heard God speaking. 
But our spiritual resurrection is much greater because it puts us in union with Christ. God, our verse says, made us alive together with Christ. Have you ever noticed that before? As members of his body, we are united to him. So that we share his resurrection, life and power. And this is why believers' baptism is taught in the scriptures so clearly. Because we are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ in his death, burial and resurrection. And why would we not want to do that? So he loved us. And he has made us alive, but there's even more. He has exalted us. We're not raised from the dead and left in the graveyard because we are united to Christ. We have been exalted with him and we are sharing his throne in heaven. Our physical position may be on earth, but our spiritual position is in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And like Lazarus, we have been called from the grave To sit with Christ and to enjoy his fellowship, John 12, verses 1 and 2. When our Lord Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, how did Lazarus come out? So we know the story. The the stone is rolled away. uh, And the people around are concerned about that because the body's been in there. And it's not something that you should do. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Take the stone away. And Jesus calls Lazarus. Come forward, come out of the tomb. And the people are all stood around thinking, you know, what's going to happen now? What did happen? Lazarus came out. Did he come out running? Skipping? No, he came out something like this. Why did he do this? Because he still had the grave clothes on. He was still bound by the grave clothes that were with him. And what did Jesus say? He said, loose him, free him. And of course, as soon as that took place, he was able to move freely and to come out of the grave. And that's the case for us. Because when we're raised to life, the grave clothes are removed. And we can rejoice in our salvation, in knowing the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, John in his gospel explains why he penned his gospel. And he simply said this, but these are written. And he was referring to the miracles and the signs and the wonders that Jesus had performed. He said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why it was written. That's why he penned these words. And he said this, he went on and he said this, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then in John 11 and verse 25 again, uh, talking to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, just before our Lord had raised Lazarus from the grave, he spoke to Lazarus' sister and he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. This is Jesus speaking. And then our Lord turns to Martha. And he looks at her. 
And he simply asks this question. Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And this evening, in everything that has taken place, in what Rachel and what Marcus have done, in the testimonies that they have given, in the scriptures that have been read, God is calling you. And you have two choices. You can say in response to the question that our Lord Jesus asked of Martha, do you believe this? You can say, no, no, I don't. I don't believe this. Or you can say, yes, I do believe this. Because I've heard God calling and speaking to me in his word. And I now see what it means. I see what Jesus has done for us. It was dramatic. But you can't go away from this church tonight not knowing what it is to be saved. What it is to know and to love the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sin. Place your trust and your belief and your hope in Jesus Christ. Because he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And he wants to save you. And he's calling you. And the only question is, are you listening? Make this evening the beginning of the rest of your life. For all eternity, living in relationship with God through his dear son. I always like to say this. We're not religious, certainly not in Norwich Baptist Church. Religion speaks of doing things. What we're interested in is a relationship with the Savior. If you want to find out more, please talk to me. Or better still, why don't you talk to Marcus and Rachel? They'll tell you. But if you'd like to talk, one of us will find time. And we can do that. And I just remind you again that if you'd like to take a copy of this book, uh, they're at the back there, and uh, please take it away and read it. What we're going to do now is uh, stand together and sing our closing hymn, which just reiterates everything that we have spoken about in the, uh, in the few moments that we have had together. Uh, it's entitled, And Can It Be? And Darren, have we got the version where the girls sing some? Okay, so follow the instructions on the screen, okay? And if you want to be really good, when you come to the chorus part, uh, the girls can start and the, lad, the, the men can just come in a slightly bit later. But if you feel uneasy about that, don't worry about it, but we'll see what happens. So let's uh, stand and sing this uh, wonderful hymn together.
Amen. Please remain standing. Um, Adrian's got uh, just a presentation for some mums. Thank you. Let's pray. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed the amazing love. How can it be? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. And we cannot understand this except that it demonstrates and shows the great love of God for his people, for those of us made in his image. Father, we thank you for this service that we have shared this evening, and we thank you for your love and for your mercy and for your grace shown to Rachel and to Marcus and indeed to all of us who know and love the Savior. And Father, if there be any here this evening that do not know thee, we pray that your love would be revealed to them and that they would respond to your invitation this evening to call to you for salvation, to repent of sin and to place our hope and faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ and him alone. Great Father, go with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.